Hello everybody and welcome to episode 20 of Trial by Fire. Uh, this is Porik and this week I'm actually flying solo because my good man Joseph Price is on some much needed uh, R&R with his family in Sweden. So uh, rather than leave you guys without an episode this week I decided that I would just uh, take the helm and record an, a bit of an episode and and just see how we went. We, you know, we got on with it. I, I've never done this before, so hopefully you can stick with me and uh, we'll be we'll be fine. I was in Kerry last weekend as well, or well, a couple of weekends ago actually, with a good friend of mine, Kieran Nugent. We went on a canoe trip. Kieran works for the National Forestry Service here in Ireland, um, and he his job is is part of maintaining the forests around Killarney National Park, as well as the animal populations, the deer population, and things like that. So really, really fascinating guy, really interesting job, and I suppose I took the opportunity just to have a chat with him and record an episode because, like, fuck it, why not? So I have that at the end of this episode. I mean, that's about an hour long that interview. So if you guys can stick around, that's a, that's going to come up at the top of the air or the end of the air, I should say. But uh, yeah, no, it's been really uh, kind of crazy over the last couple of weeks with everything. I mean, the the episode last week that we released with Ed Stafford, I mean, the the response to that has been absolutely amazing, I must say. So thank you to everybody that uh, that has listened and that has shared it and supported it and stuff. It's it's still, I, I genuinely can't um, express enough how flabbergasted I am by the responses that people, people are emailing, telling us, you know, how much they enjoy the show. We've got people trekking all over the world and uh, binging on it, you know, and, and people that have just actually found us recently, starting from the beginning and working their way up through them and you know tagging us in them they go, oh i'm on episode five blah 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 that was hilarious and i mean if i'm honest like i mean this is the 20th episode now which is crazy but half the stuff that's happened in those episodes i can't even remember which is what or when was who so it's quite funny when people reference things that i had forgotten or uh, you know um and and they kind of quote it and stuff and it, it's quite funny and not just you know outdoors people or bushcrafty people uh, as such it's you know, and it was, it's one thing that we, when we started this, it was something that we kind of didn't intentionally do, but all, but, you know, I think it just kind of came about that, um, the talks that we were having, it weren't always about bushcraft skills or gear or, uh, nerding out and stuff, which is always fun to do. We enjoy doing that stuff. But when you're talking to somebody like Ed, who clearly ha- has the skills and the experience of, uh, not just an adventurer, but, you know, his bushcraft skills are crazy to the point where, you know, those things, they kind of end up sitting below the surface of the conversation. So they're not, the, the conversation isn't about those things because, you know, at a certain point, you don't even need to talk about those things. They they, they become a baseline for the conversation. And I think that's really interesting uh, pieces come about. I think people really respond to those sort of things where you actually get to see the person behind the skill set and you get to kind of get a bit of a sense of who they are as a person. And it's one thing that myself and Joe really try to get to the crux of when we're when we're talking to people like Ed, who, I mean, let's face it, you know, there's so much material out there of him already you know he's got a bunch of shows he's got he's appeared on numerous different podcasts uh, and radio uh, interviews and the likes and I mean sometimes when we're when we get an opportunity to talk to someone like that I kind of think to myself uh, you know what do I actually say to someone like that you know they've they've been around the world they've 
they've had so much experience they've had they've done so many interviews they've had their shows and the likes and is there anything left to actually talk to these people about and more often than not of course there is because if they're an interesting person you're going to have an interesting conversation you know and that's that's kind of how it's been uh, for myself and Joe uh, so far. So anyway, thank you for everybody that uh, responded to last week's episode. I think it was it was a really nice one. Uh, really enjoyed it. I think that idea of uh, binging 20, 20 plus hours of, of us talking shit is kind of funny because, you know, I mean, I suppose we're in this Netflix culture, aren't we, where, you know, people want the entire season all at once so they can binge it over a weekend or, you know, over a, the course of a month or something. And I think, you know, we're getting to a point now with the with the show where there's enough content there and enough material that people can actually go back to the start and 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 digest it from start to finish. It's like, Jesus, there's probably more there than a, than a season of Game of Thrones. So, you know, hats off to anybody that can get through 20 plus episodes of of our, our hours rather of myself and Joe talking absolute nonsense so it's kind of funny um but look I mean it's awesome so as I said yeah um Joe he's um he was in Sweden for two weeks his his wife as you know is is from Sweden and uh he's off recuperating and then I think in four days then he ships out to Denmark to, to instruct with Jesper Jesper Hida of Bushcraft Denmark. Guest lecturing on a 72-hour, or guest instructing, I should say, on a 72-hour survival course, which I believe actually sold out. So that's pretty cool. And, you know, it's great to see people buying tickets for things like this and supporting the smaller schools. You know, because someone like Jesper, I mean, he is extremely knowledgeable and extremely uh, talented and he's got years and years of experience. I mean, the guy actually really lives it. He spends weeks at a time out hunting in his part of the world. And, you know, I think... After Bushcraft Symposium, which was a couple of months ago, well, last month actually, he uh, he spent three, two or three weeks high, uh, canoeing up the Yukon River with his friends. So, like, I mean, the guy lives and breeds the outdoors. So anybody who has the opportunity to be instructed by someone like Jesper is extremely lucky. Um, so, as I said, I think the tickets sold out for that, which is really cool. Um, but if you didn't get a ticket, I think there is one, another course in October uh, in Denmark, and I'm actually going to be attending that one as well. And not necessarily instructing as such, but I'll definitely be helping out. I'll be taking some photographs. Um, so if you guys want to, you know, if you, as I said, if you didn't get a ticket for the first one, have a look at that. And when the tickets go on sale, we'll let you guys know. Absolutely. So get your asses on that shit. Another thing that uh, came out this week was our uh, website. So it was a couple of sleepless nights and some long hours getting that over the line, but uh, I think it's ended up looking quite cool. I'm really happy with it, and the response, as is, uh, once again, has been absolutely amazing from all you guys. I mean, literally, I, <laughs> this is just like an episode of thanking uh, people, but I mean, really, it's crazy. But um, yeah, so the the the, the website is going to be essentially kind of a hub for all of our goings on. So you know, we've got. The podcast over here on SoundCloud and you know Spotify and iTunes and the likes. Then we've got, I mean, I do some writing for for Knives and Tools uh, in the Netherlands, and then we've got stuff on Living to Learn. We've got uh, what else do we have? I mean, contact pages, uh, a calendar of events for things that are happening. So we've kind of decided. We thought maybe it was just about time that we. We brought it all into one space so you guys could just access that there. It's trialbyfire.net. So, I mean, it's pretty easy to remember. Um, but everything that, you know, is happening between myself and Joe and the podcast is all going to be there. As I said, articles, 
um, calendar of events. <sighs> what else is on there? Just our profiles, I suppose. As I said, you can contact us. Um, you can listen to the shows on there. We'll be hosting like you know most of the episodes on there as well. That's up there, and uh, you guys should check it out and let me know what you guys think. It's really cool to have it up there. We also have patches out this week. Well, they're not out yet, actually. I should I should iterate. They we took pre-orders for them a couple of weeks ago, and they're actually gone to print now. So I got a sample back, and it looks really really great, and I'm really happy with them. Um, so we once they come in, anybody who bought one, um, thank you. It really helps us, and it really you know all the money goes into supporting the show. I mean. I know people give out about the sound quality of our of our show sometimes. And that's obviously due to the fact that we don't have a big recording studio to record in. And we probably won't, let's be honest. Most of our interviews take place in, in woods or by the sides of lakes anyway. You know, it's essentially a second job for myself and Joe. And not that I, I'm complaining, I absolutely love doing it. But, I come, you know, we come home, we have to edit the episodes, we have to get websites up... You know, there's a lot going on in the background that uh, I suppose maybe doesn't get doesn't get seen that much. And, and, you know, not that it has to. Essentially, all I'm saying is, like, it's great that people support it because it genuinely means the world to us. And the fact that you guys can can go and reach into your pockets and, uh, you know, order a patch from us is pretty cool. And I suppose that kind of leads me in then to... I didn't want to make this too long-winded at the beginning, essentially, because it's just myself. And I mean, who the fuck wants to just listen to me talking into a, a fluffy microphone? <laughs> if you've made it this far, then congratulations. But yeah, I mean, I just, I suppose just as a bit of an introduction to the chat that I had with uh, Kieran, And I won't give too much away because it's a really interesting interview. Really, really interesting guy. He's got a lot to say um, and he's very well educated as well. So take what he says Seriously, you know, he knows his shit. Basically, what he was talking to me about was the idea that we don't, I suppose we don't focus a lot, enough at least, at least for myself speaking as well. And he's right, you know, we don't focus enough on the actual environment that we practice our fun in as much as we do our gear and, you know, knowing everything about Ventile and Gore-Tex and, you know, the different materials that you're clothes are made of the different steels that your blades are made from it's all well and good but i think there's something about being in the woods and not necessarily knowing what the plants are or why a particular tree is in a particular place or you know what's below your feet and 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 you know to be honest i mean it's a contentious um statement to make but i do personally feel as though i could i do have a lot to learn in the woods and knowing why trees do what they do knowing plants knowing why plants do what they do and it kind of encouraged me i suppose over the last couple of weeks since recording the episode to just kind of up my knowledge a little bit in being out in the forest and not necessarily worrying about my gear or i've been trying a couple of different things um first of all i suppose i was looking at uh up in my navigation game i suppose both natural navigation and modern navigation when i say modern i mean using a compass i've been practicing the paul system which i'm sure a lot of you guys would be familiar with you might have seen the stuff i would have put up on the on uh living to learn during the week essentially put the paul system is 
positive azimuth uniform layout, which is kind of a form of self-mapping. Um, so you use your compass to dial in essentially how many paces you've walked in, in what degree, what you know, what direction, um, and you're you're kind of able to make a map of where you've been that day. Quite useful for plotting a route, mapping an area that you're maybe not familiar with that you want to revisit or reference in it, or you know, it's it's got a million different uses. I won't go into it too much here, but essentially I'm using it as a way just to kind of make myself a little bit more aware of the surroundings that I'm in, because you do have to be quite um, observant. Uh, not just looking ahead, but looking back, looking what the, what what it looks like behind you. Because you know, if you get turned around, I mean, you've been only walking in one direction. It can be kind of disorientating if you somehow get turned around and you don't have a clue where you are. You know, and I've also been uh, reading uh, the Tristan Gooley books. Tristan Gooley, who you know, I'm sure people would know of his book, The Natural Navigator. Uh, it's a very well known book. But personally, I find the uh, the Walker's Guide to Outdoor Clues actually more valuable at least to myself, Dan, the natural navigator, has been. Um, I mean, it's absolutely packed, dense with with information. Every paragraph in there is, is fascinating. I think where the value of a book like that really uh, shows itself when the more experience you get and you go back and listen to it again, or not listen to it, but go back and read it again, uh, you're still getting pieces of knowledge from it that you didn't actually, that you might have brushed over the first time or didn't make sense to you. And uh, and then going back and looking at it again and go, ah, that's what he meant. I know what I actually know what he's talking about now. And I suppose the reason for these things is just to be, I suppose, just be more aware of. Uh, and again, this is just myself speaking. I don't want to be preachy, but having an, a bit of an awareness about your environment, particularly the forest and, and kind of knowing what you're looking at. What's what's that mushroom? What's that piece of lichen? What's that tree? And why is it pointing in that direction? it kind of becomes a bit of a game and it makes being outside even more enjoyable than just kind of passively passing through it. It, it does for me, at least. The way I think about it is it's almost like when you start learning a new language. Anybody who's tried to pick up a new language will know that at first it's absolutely impossible. Nothing makes sense. You don't even know where one word ends and another one begins in the language because you can't figure out the, you know, you don't know where the inflections are in certain words. So, you you, you know, you, you can't string it together. But slowly but surely, words start becoming sentences and sentences start becoming conversations. And before long, you're, you know, you're able to actually have an opinion about something in a different language and it's crazy. But that all starts with learning single words or single phrases and when you learn it, then all of a sudden you start hearing it in every sentence and you realise that you're actually learning these things. And I think being in the woods is kind of like that. It is for me again, as I said. Once you learn what one tree is, all of a sudden you see it everywhere. You know, if you see a particular edible plant or a particular edible fungi or something, you start noticing it and you start seeing it. And then finding those little hints and clues along the way is actually then it makes makes being outside so much more enriching it. And I suppose uh, the episode that we did last week, again, to go back to the, the conversation we had with Ed, it kind of made me realise as well that you don't have to be a bushcrafter to enjoy being out in the woods. It's it's for everybody. It's just it's just being outside. It's just going for walks. It's just, it doesn't always have to be a big, crazy adventure. It can be having a walk with the kids in the park, you know, and uh, again, like those little clues that you see in, in, in parks, it doesn't have to be a forest, are the things that are the, the fun things and the clues that you start picking up. You know, when I mentioned to friends that non-bushcrafty friends or non-outdoor friends that I'm camping or that I'm out, 
in the forest or whatever. And it's almost, I don't know why it seems so crazy or alien to people that someone would be willing to spend so much time kind of outside in the woods because I think it's for everybody anyway. You know, it's almost like uh, people saying, oh, I'm not artsy or I'm not creative. I, I can't draw. I can't do this, that, or the other. It's, yeah, but you've been drawn since you were a kid. You know, every kid picks up a crayon. Nobody told them that they weren't good at it. They just did it, you know, because it's fun and it's, it just feels natural to do. Um, and I think people kind of lose that then as they get older. And I, and I feel as though being in the woods is, and being outside is kind of the same. I mean, look at Eric, uh, Joe's son. You've seen him. I'm sure you guys have seen pictures of him, like, rolling in puddles and eating dirt because that's what kids do. And I think we're all basically pr- programmed to be like that. I mean, essentially, the reason why I still do this is because when I was a kid, I liked making tree houses or, you know, dens in in fucking ditches. And I kind of never grew out of that. And that's, it's kind of just an advancement to that. You know, there's no real, obviously the skills there, you know, survival skills, navigation skills, identification skills, all of those things, they come with time. But essentially, you're just you're just outside. There's there's nothing scary about it. There's nothing. I don't know. I hope hope that doesn't sound too preachy. I, I just feel as though uh, this is personally just me speaking here. I'm not trying to uh, convert anybody, and I'm probably preaching to the choir here anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean that that talk and then the the, the talk I had with with Kieran a couple of weeks ago, which is the interview that you're going to hear now, um, kind of encouraged me just to try and get back in touch with essentially why why I go outside. So, yeah. That's a bit of an introduction into the uh, the episode and the interview that I had with Kieran. It was a uh, really good fun and, re- as I said, a really great guy. So I hope you enjoy it. And, um, yeah, we'll see you back in two weeks, um, which may be hopefully something a little bit more lively. Uh, hopefully I didn't bore the shit out of you uh, with my ramblings. But... Have a good two weeks, guys, and we will see you again soon. Take care. I'm here with Kieran Nugent, who uh, works in the uh, far- is it forestry service. Yeah. In uh, in Ireland here, uh, we had a canoe trip today. We just got out on the uh, on the lake and got ourselves some food and did a bit of a. We tried out some gear that we haven't. Yeah, I mean you were. I mean, you just stuffed your car, didn't you? With, yeah, I had with, a lot of stuff I haven't used for a while, and I over, I deliberately overpacked. I put everything in. Yeah. Kitchen sink job. <laughs> and uh, and it's nice. It's, you know, stuff you haven't used. Yeah. And you wonder, will you ever use, or you wonder, are you going to get a chance to use it this, this season? Or, you know, uh, life is sometimes busy, and you have children and work and all these other things, and yeah. you, you don't get to, to use it. Yeah. And then you just say, right, this is a weekend. Let's see, let's <laughs> got, see what this does. Yeah, yeah, because I think that is the case with a lot of people. And like people can replace uh, getting out with, with actually with just buying gear, and they end up with a, a mass amount of gear, and they don't actually don't they don't really get out to play with it, you know? Yeah, and I, I, it's the gear. It's does, all about the it, gear. Does it replace? Does it sometimes replace the experience of getting out? Is is buying a piece of gear? We're trained to buy things. From a very early age, I think we're trained, we're taught with TV and advertising and all of the rest of it. Mm. We're conditioned to want to buy stuff, yeah. And which which is fine, but again, it can be, it can be an empty thing as well. And I, I think people who are into the outdoors are, are lucky in that they've they've a chance to escape from that. 
an escape from the routine of the shopping mall on a Sunday and a, yeah. and a Saturday and, and, and totally. get outside. And There's a lot of equipment. There's a lot of really great stuff to help people get out into the outdoors. But I think the most important, there's two important things. Uh, the first one is the time to get out, yeah. to make the time to get out. Yeah. And the second thing is to have somewhere to go, to have a place, to have that that space to sure. go out in and sure. enjoy it like like we have here and and i think yeah we're just looking around our our view here our 360 view is amazing uh, it's pretty it's, nice it's it, it is pretty nice but i think it's having those places to go and the most the most for me the most important thing is is the place mm. and that we we look after those places in the same way we have we we we, we spend a lot of time debating about equipment what's the best axe what's the best rucksack what's the best hat sure. What's the best sun cream? I mean, it goes down to that level. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's it's it, there's a deeper there's a deeper thing there that we need to tap. I think the outdoor movement as it is now uh, is is on the cusp of, of tapping into that mm. uh, much much deeper questions about about what we're doing and about where we're doing it and why we're doing it. Yeah. And I think you know we're, we're sitting here now we're, where we're sitting. You know. 5,000 years ago, people probably sat here looking out going, what, what are we going to do with this place? <laughs> you know, it's a... Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, for anybody who's listening, and I mean, you can probably hear the uh, the waves lapping there and the trees behind us. We're in this beautiful oak forest, uh, this ancient oak forest up somewhere in, in, in Kerry. Uh, I don't know the exact location. I don't think Kieran will tell me, uh, but it's um, it's absolutely stunning. Um, but myself and Kieran, I mean, we, we've been friends for... Well, Facebook told me today that we've been friends three years, which is kind of crazy considering we just uh, randomly decided last week to uh, to get out on the yeah and go camping with strange men off the internet. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, myself and Kieran met years ago. Um, I think it was before even living to learn. Uh, so it was myself, Davy Crawford of Brock Knives, uh, Kieran, uh, another guy called CJ, and and uh, Paul Paul McMullen. Paul McMullen. Yeah, he was out with us. And this was before myself, you know, Joe or any of the guys or myself set up Living to Learn. And we were kind of finding people, we we're trying to find people to actually get outside with, you know. And uh, it is a tricky thing to find the right mix or the right type of people that you're not just, you know, going out and getting pissed essentially with a slab yeah. of beer, you know. And I think it was something that we were we were trying to find for a long time. Would you um, briefly give us a, a kind of a description as to what, what your job is here in Kerry? Well, I'm a forester, and uh, I, which is unusual in Ireland. It's not a it's not a big forestry country. It's never been a big forestry. It was originally, and uh, our job is to restore Ireland's forest cover. That's the work of foresters, and, and has been for for. It's almost one of the first things after independence that they did. Yeah, was people realised that our forest cover had gotten to such a low level after after the First World War, and uh, you know w when we had independence. There's a demand for housing. There's a demand for to, to build a new country, mm. literally to build everything, mm. schools, all of the things that a new state, a new country needed. Yeah. And you need raw materials for that. And people realise that we don't we don't have wood. Yeah. If you don't have wood, there's not a whole lot. You have to buy it from somewhere else, and yeah. you have to give your hard-earned currency away. And a lot of countries discovered after the First World War there was a, there was an assumption that. People had empires all over the world. It was an assumption that this wood would just come from the empires and that in Britain in particular, that the wood would come from the Baltic, the big trade. Yeah. It was a big trade in timber from Canada. Right. And all of a sudden, the First World War. You see those photos of those guys chopping down yeah, there's, there's trees the size of fucking houses, as thick as houses. Yeah. And, and a huge timber trade. And there has yeah. been for hundreds of years, an enormous timber trade. 
and all of a sudden there's a U-boat and a blockade. And this, this hadn't even occurred to people that you could do this. Yeah. I mean, this technology would permit people to stop the largest shipping nation in the world importing its timber. Right. And because of that assumption about timber, the, the, the forest cover on both islands, in both Britain and Ireland, and we were joined in the same in the same country at that point. Yeah. The forest cover was allowed to drop to uh, in in Britain one percent. Wow. And in Ireland, after the First World War, the cover was actually less than one percent. What? I did less not know that. Less than one percent. Yeah. Jesus. And if you go back in time, <laughs> you, you've got to go right back in time. You've yeah. got to go way back. Yeah. And go back about five thousand years, and humans arrive in Ireland first, and there, there's this 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 country was covered from end to end in mm. in forests of elm, as, as and ash, Britain, yeah, and oak, yeah, and they talk in Britain about the wildwood and all of this yeah. sort of romantic picture of, of, of this forest, this I call it Little Red Riding Hood forest, where you know literally wall to wall native woodland and, and the pine forests in the northern limits moving down into these big beech forests in southeast of, of, of Britain. Yeah. And here in Ireland, we would have had this extensive forest running right across. Uh, and we had two stages of forest. There was a forest before the Ice Age. And after the Ice Age, there was a, a, a very wet and moist and, and humid period where the peat bog started to develop. Wow, okay. And we find when you, when people are digging in peat bogs, they find pine trees right. going back that are 10,000 years bog old and older. And, yeah. Bog oak and bog pine that were there in these forests yeah. before the peat bogs built up. So we've had different successions. We've, we've had different rounds of forests yeah. over uh, in our history and our prehistory. But when man settled in this island, there was a lot of forest. And I, I use this story in the, in the, in the library in, uh, sorry, not in the library, in the museum in Tralee. There's a stone axe head that they found on a beach in Ballyferreter. Wow. I think I might've told you about this before. Yeah. And there's, it's a round stone. And like, we, we love our axes. This guy had spent hours, days, maybe weeks, sitting somewhere, grinding a stone into an axe head that he then mounted in a, in a handle of some sort. Mm -hmm. And he walked back into his village that night. He was the most powerful man in that village. He had he had moved beyond the yeah. the confines of the human body yeah. and the power that we have. Are, you know, we're, we're we're a weakling. Yeah compared to other animals and compared to other, sure. other, other creatures. That's why we've, uh, we've learned to use our, our, our brains. And, and this our, guy's used yeah. his brain to create a force multiplier, this axe yeah. made out of a rock. And that guy would have spent hours and hours and hours chopping trees. Imagine chopping trees with a rock, like, come on. He's <laughs> got to do this with this rock and then he has to sharpen it. Every few yeah. strokes probably, or every couple of hours, he's got to stop in, in and grind that rock off another rock. He would have spent, like us, all that time sitting in this enormous forest just listening to it as he's sharpening his axe. I like to think about this guy yeah. sharpening his axe. And I picked up the stone that the museum curator is a is very, very nice person, brought me in and showed me all these axes that yeah. they have in there. You pick this up and you can kind of get a sense of this person with this axe. What was he what was he doing? And they started cutting from the time humans arrived here, they started chopping into that forest little by little, little by little. And as the technology improved and we went from stone axes to, to copper axes and then to bronze axes and then yeah. to iron. And when iron came, that was it. It was finished. Yeah. Because the, the, the tools were much better. They were much more effective. And people cut and chopped and burned and created this mixed landscape that we have today. Yeah, because burning would have been something that was, uh, was very much used before we had uh, efficient cutting oh, yeah. tools in the sense that, you know, bef even before agriculture, 
uh, we would have used burning as a method to, to kind of to clear areas. Yeah, so. and it's still it's still used, and it's it's an area that I that I work in. I'm very familiar with, and yeah. it's fire is still the primary land clearance method in lots of countries. And you go into the tropics, mm. and we look at the maps of fires where fires happen, and you see satellite images of fires. And you see right across the tropics, people still use fire yeah. in agriculture. And even in countries like Scandinavia and Finland and Sweden, people would have used fire up to quite quite recent times to try and clear some of the forest for agriculture. Sure. To create spaces to farm in and grow rye and grow, grow yeah, things yeah, yeah. in. Yeah. And then it would move on after a few years to another another space. And this was this was a well known a well known method. Mm. The landscape we have, when we when we when we got our independence here in Ireland, literally coming up to hundred years ago, there was nothing. There was some ornamental woodland around estates, owned by some of the bigger estates, British owned by big landlords, yeah. and, and and so on, and and that was it. And as a people, we kind of lost our connection with forests. We mm. lost that contact. We mm. lost that understanding. Like that guy with the axe, he probably knew what things did. Yeah, he could look at plants and he would know that this was the of course the the, the, type the plant of for this or sickness or this was a flavor or this was something, and people had a much better understanding of of of, of what forests could do. Uh-huh. And I always think of forests are like giant, giant supermarkets. It's what does Joe calls it a bushcraft warehouse? Yeah, <laughs> and and you can go into forests that are hazelwoods and, yeah. and ash, and they're going to serve a different purpose. And you go into yeah. the if you go into the heritage parks and you see the the old housing, the old style housing that are there, yeah, and see how people use these materials to build yeah. settlements, and yeah. to to create agriculture and to create communities, and from communities they created societies, and mm-hmm. out of out of that, it all came from the woods. Yeah, if the forests weren't there, there would have been nothing. There was no reason to settle or no way to settle. It would have been very, very difficult. And we, we, we inherited a country that literally had lost all of that connection and lost that resource, wasn't there. Yeah. And I suppose my generation of foresters, we're, we're the first generation that have been allowed to step beyond what, what, what's been done in the past in forests and try to uh, rebalance and, and, and give the public what they want now. There's a, there's a stronger demand for more broadly forests and deciduous yes. forests yes. and native forests. But also, um, not just that, but, but, um, but wild forests. I think, I think where there's a disconnect, uh, just from my personal experience with, let's say, in Wicklow, um, you know, it's great having those, those forests that we have in Wicklow. And Wicklow, mm-hmm. Wicklow is a beautiful county. But it's, I find, at least myself, it's just a little bit too um, paved, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. it's like there's there's cycle tracks, there's you know there's walkways, there's park benches, there's picnic tables. That's all well and good, and it, you know, in some ways that's it's it's good to you know it allows families to get out and wheel their buggies and things like that. But I think what's what Ireland is really missing, and you know, you look at the likes of Sweden and Denmark and, and Finland, it's like. They just have wild forests, and yeah. and they're allowed to use them, and it's like because they trust them that there's a there's an education from a very young age as to how to actually treat your environment, how to treat the woods, um, and, and there's an understanding by people in those how how to do that and yeah. how, how that's done, yeah. and with that we we're, we're we're in the process. And I think the the outdoor movement at the moment, I, I think both in Ireland and in Britain, is in the process of 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 rediscovering that. Yeah, and looking at what happens in those in the northern countries and seeing how how does that work for us here in yeah. our in our landscapes and you know and it's very very exciting and it's very exciting for for somebody like myself. Well, you're in the heart of it, so you you, yeah, well, you know what's happening behind in the have, background. We know? have a job. We've our, our our role really is to to listen to what people are mm. doing and, and try and see mm. how do we how do we cater for that. Yeah, 
we want forests that do lots lots of things that give back lots of lots of different lots of different values which mm -hmm. is very complex and very difficult but at the same time uh, it's really exciting to hear the public learning and and coming and saying look this is what we want yeah because we want it like this uh, and and we've seen this stuff why can't we have the shelters like they have and the wind shelters and, and the like yeah those types of things you see they open uh, the the lavus and stuff you see in sweden and mm -hmm. so on it's brilliant but again we, we don't have a history of it and uh, how people have responded to some of that stuff in the past you know wicklow wicklow is not a great example it's a lovely place i, I would have the, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing now is probably because I spent so much time in Wicklow mm. as a kid. My, yeah, because you, you grew up in Dublin, right? I grew up in Dublin. Like, like lots of people probably listen to this, I grew up in a housing estate in Dublin. I was very, very lucky that yeah. my, my dad is a, is a mountaineer. He's a, he's a very uh, very well-known mountaineer. But I, we spent a lot of time in in Wicklow mm. at weekends. And we spent a lot of time in forests and we spent a lot of time in the scouts. We spent a lot of time hiking around the same places people are hiking around now. Yeah, and yeah, it was it, it was this kind of it's a whole other space, and it's a there's a million people live beside more than a million people live beside Wicklow, and they're looking for places to go on their bikes. They're looking for places to go on downhill mountain bikes. They're mm -hmm. looking for places to go bushcrafting. They're looking for places to do all kinds of activities, every sort of activity you can imagine. They're doing that, and they're all doing it in the same place. And of course, it, it, it does. It makes it a little more difficult to find that sense of and you, you can still find it in Wicklow, but it's a lot, a lot more difficult to get lost compared to here on the on the west coast. Yeah. And it, it is a much, much. We do have wilderness areas, and we have areas that are similar to wilderness. We have designated wilderness areas in the state. Yeah. But it, it's it's the scale of Ireland is very very different to to Scandinavian. Mm. You know, it's a. It takes a couple of couple of days to drive to the north of Sweden. Yeah. It takes. Yeah, a couple of hours. Four hours to drive to Belfast from yeah. here, five hours. You can get from you one know. end of Ireland to the, to the other in, in under six you hours. You can drive from Dublin to Galway to bottom, yeah. in, in about two and a half hours yeah. now with the motorways. And from Dublin to here in, in, in Kerry is about three and a half hours. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a small island. It's a small country. But again, we have to try and pack in these things. We have the same population as, as Finland, I think. It's very, very close to it. Very close. And... We have to try and pack all this stuff into a much, much smaller, smaller space. But I think it's it's really exciting just watching people make those adaptations, and 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 I I think it's going to be interesting. We're we're kind of copying the Scandinavians in a lot of ways and relearning a lot of things from them and and from the North Americans as well. I think we're, it's very interesting just to see that. I think in a couple of years' time we're going to have a, a very unique flavor of outdoor, the type of bushcraft outdoor re reconnection there. In Ireland, I think it's going to be quite, quite, quite unique and yeah. have, it, have its own flavour. I would hope that will happen, and that, you know, the the landscapes that we have and the types of of, of opportunities that we have are going to deliver a, a type of of culture and the sort of habits, mm. customs that people have. That we're going to look after the places that we have. I think first of all, but more importantly, that we'd understand them, and I think. We've, we've, we're surrounded by gear here. I mean, there's, there's axes and sleeping bags. We've all this stuff that we have with us. But again, it's that we would have the same understanding of what we're sitting on and what's growing beside us yeah. and what's in front of us and what, why that is, yeah. why that grows like that. In some ways, I think that's it's, it's an interesting point because I think 
for me and I imagine for a lot of people when they get into the outdoors they get into bushcraft they get into uh, you know following people on YouTube following their idols the likes of mirrors the likes of whoever it is um, that the first thing that you do like let's say for me it was MCQ because he was one of the top uh, you know searched and, and kind of hit uh, YouTube uh, channels and when I type bushcraft into YouTube uh, lo and behold, most of the videos that came up at the top were MCQ Bushcraft, and you know, a lot of you know, love him or hate him, a lot of people give him a slack for for being a bit dry and the likes. But um, I mean, I found his videos really fascinating. But I was really attentive to what gear he was he was uh, kind of packing, let alone you know the skills that he was sharing, which I was trying to learn at the time. But I think the thing about it is the skills come with time the, the skills take time to actually learn and to master and to absorb whereas gear is just you know obviously it's money that you have to earn but you can go out and buy you know if you're if you're if you've got money you can go out and buy 30 grand or 10 grand's worth of gear and you, you can be kitted out with all the best gear but you can't buy the skill set you know so i think that's you know and again it kind of comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning there in the sense of um gear being a replacement sometimes for um for not being able to get out and not being yeah. able to learn the skills I'm guilty of it absolutely myself and at times where you you want to you want to participate in it and then you just you just don't get that time that week yeah so you just find yourself looking in the in the websites and yeah. looking in the things <laughs> and, then, and, and, and they're there and they're they're waiting for us and yeah. it's brilliant that 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 they're there mm -hmm. and i think it's it's what's what's amazing is that there are more Irish businesses supplying that that market, and I think it's very very important that it's, you know that we support those people in in the in our own country, mm. providing the, those sort of things, and and that, I would that like, that's, that's part of it yeah, as well. You know? I would like to see more bushcraft gear in the likes of the high street stores, the likes of the great outdoors, the likes of uh, you know base camp. When more people. When more people are involved and more people are doing the sports, my, my dad was a mountaineer yeah. in the 1970s and 1980s at a point when there was only one shop in the whole country where he could buy really heavy gear. The actual gear that he, actual that he ice, needed. Actual ice climbing equipment. Yeah. And that, you know, the really, you know, there was only one place doing it. And that you can go into every small town almost in Ireland, every, every large, good-sized town, and you'll find a shop that sells well, do you know a, a, a rock climbing harness well, you know or the, an ice axe. The irony of it is actually, I've found the smaller stores, the ones in, in smaller towns that actually have a bit of a hunting community, they're like, you know, particularly on, on this side of the, of the country, they're actually better equipped than the high street ones in Dublin because Dublin's catering to Wicklow hikers. Yeah. You know, whereas the, the stores, the likes down here or over on the West Coast, uh, they're catering to hunters. And hunters want gear that's actually going to work and there's people people visiting these places on holidays yeah. who want certain things and, and and there's all of that but i think i think as it develops and as as, as people see that there's business there mm. people will start and businesses will start selling the type of stuff that people are looking people for people are looking for but yeah it, it, again it, it comes back to that's that's the stuff and i think irish irish gear businesses like the, the those shops and so on mm have a really hard time because they have to compete with the websites they have to compete with sure. with all of that yeah and and i think yeah it, it, it's up to people here what i would say is but uh, i mean lose it lose it or use it or lose yeah. it and i think 
we've seen that with lots of places in Ireland. Yeah. You know, if it's not if it, if if they're not used, if the business isn't there, yeah. the business is cancelled. And they don't buy they don't buy the stuff. And but but you shop in, in, in the place that Joe worked for a while, didn't you? The the camo store. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's there. They have they have the stuff. They that have Helicon we, that we in want, there, they and they have yeah. good good gear that they we that we want. Stuff for a while. Some of the stuff I'm not that interested in, but yeah. again. They have this. They have knives. They have all that sort of stuff, yeah. and it's and you can go and see it, and it's it's brilliant. And there's a couple of shops like that around the country mm. where you can actually go and pick this stuff up, and you can actually see. It makes a that, difference. It does make a huge yeah. difference. Yeah. yeah. And what's great is when people in those businesses know the gear yes. and understand it and can advise you. You know totally. what? What are you yeah. using it for? That was that was one of the things that uh, struck me in uh, in Jesper Hida's store in in Denmark. So, I mean, we've talked about it before on the show, but he's essentially got like a shipping container that you can walk into. And it's just top to bottom, back to front, all gear. And that guy runs a bushcraft school. He knows exactly mm. what he's selling. You know, that eagle kettle I got, that's off him. You know, the boreal, uh, you know, I, yeah. I've picked up so much good gear off Jesper. Because he knows what he's stocking and like he I, uses it himself. I went to buy a headlamp a few years ago and I went into a very, very good outdoor shop yeah. in Tralee, a very big one. Right. And uh, I went into this place and... Uh, I picked up a Petzl, is it a Mayo, the tiny, tiny little headlamp. And I said, that's a really great size headlamp for what mm. I was doing. Mm. And the, there's a guy in the shop who just said, what are, you, what, what, are you, what are you doing with that? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's very small. I just want this little headlamp. He said, you don't need that. It's too small. He said, for what you're, for what you, for what you're going to be doing, yeah. you don't need it. Get, yeah. it. get a bigger one. Yeah. And, uh, and I did. I, I followed, followed the advice. And, you know, it, it's, it's people, there's, there's gear there that sometimes you think you want. And then there's what you actually need, and I think the best the best types of retailers or the best types of of, of, of suppliers yeah. will often understand what you want uh, and are able to help you make make those decisions. I think that's it makes that's, a huge difference. It does make a big difference, but it's yeah. very very important again that we have if we have those places in the, in our in our own country that we support them and that we we keep them keep them going absolutely. as far as possible. Totally, bankrupting no, ourselves. Absolutely as well. agree. Um, but just to, I know that was a bit of a tangent, but I would love to know what 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 do you do? So what's your what's your profession in terms of? Because a lot of people will be interested in. Because it's, I suppose it's a weird one here because there is a bit of a, I suppose there's a bit of cloak and daggers when it comes to the likes of quilture and 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 what they actually do. Because, I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. I give out about them because I just find them really restrictive and you know the way in which that they they'll take a forest that could be wild and publicize it and put up no campfire signs and mm. and i get why they do that because people go in with bags of cans so if it's obviously a lack of education um you know it's, it's a bit of a systemic issue more so than anything else yeah. but you know so, i mean you work closely with those people like what what is it that's actually happening in the background that people are not maybe aware of i i think in the background there's a lot of really really good people who are interested in protecting places and, and managing them for the best the best outcomes for the taxpayer mm -hmm. who owns the forest and also for the general public who, who use and and go in those places and expect to see certain things at certain times. And at the same time then, there's also the part that maybe the general public don't see so much. We have an amazing industry in Ireland that makes a lot of jobs, makes mm. a lot of export uh, opportunities from, from the sale of timber that we have grown ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we've... We've created the forest. The forests we have have gone from uh, less than 1% to almost 12%. 12%, just mm -hmm. below 12% mm -hmm. now. And 
that's been done in the last hundred years by by Irish people mm-hmm. with, with with our own money mm-hmm. essentially, and the 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 purpose of foresters. I'm a professional forester. I'm a forest engineer by by training is to optimize and maximize those opportunities Mm -hmm. whatever the opportunities are it might be timber production when we started off people said we just want timber the governments of the time give us timber Mm. here's the land that you can have you can't have the best land you can't have the middling land we're going to give you the very very worst land the land that nobody else wants that nobody can farm on that nobody can do anything else with and we expect you to create these forests for us and the Irish foresters had to go and find species that would even grow on this land. Mm. And they went and they found species that grow very successfully on the worst possible. We, we would just die on some of these places. We were left out. And these trees thrive on it. And they're, they, they, for a lot of trees come from North America, from the Northwest Pacific. Would that be very, like, acidic soils? or? No, they're peat soils mostly. They're very wet, yeah. wet soils. Yeah. And peats are mostly acidic. The, the soil itself is, is, is acidic, yeah. generally. Conifers prefer those types of conditions, and broadleafs prefer more alkaline yes, soils. Yeah, more like water soil. Not, not, yeah, not too, not. But it's the soil that the soils we have are the limiting factor. The best soils are in agriculture. That's that's the way it is. That's never going to change. Well, mm. not 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 in general. No. Um, so they cre- created this resource, and the job of those people, I suppose, now is to is to try and satisfy the public interest in doing new things and you see this recent thing where they're going to convert forests around the Dublin mountains to large-scale native woodland projects mm-hmm. which I think is very good I, mm-hmm. I, I haven't been involved in it. I don't know much about what the actual details of it is but I think the idea of of doing that that over time as those forests come to the end of their shelf life yeah. and they're converted that they would be restored into a, a, a native woodland and these are sites that probably weren't in forest mm-hmm. when they were to taken begin over with, to yeah. begin with they've, they've been gone into one type of forest and now converted to another. Sure. And we have a big native woodland uh, system. We have a big native woodland scheme. We have all of these things and new, newer systems coming on all the time. And our job is to really uh, do that and listen to the public and provide that balance of productivity mm. in terms of finance mm. and the, the financial end of forests and the production end of forests along with the biodiversity, the wildlife yeah. uh, aspects of it, and also the social and the cultural things, the yeah. recreation side. Yeah. Recreation is huge. And I think for us to be successful with one, for us to be successful in, in, the, in, the, in the business of selling timber, we also have to be successful in the recreation, getting yeah. the most out of that land. Yeah, because obviously, like, you know, when you drive through, the, through our country, um, I mean, if I'm honest, I mean, that 12% that you're talking about, I would say 80% of that is is crops and and by crops i mean timber yeah you know it's 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 about 70 percent. yeah and we have we have a lot of broadleaves there's more broadleaves in the last few years but they require better land Mm. and what we've done is we've stopped the state doesn't buy much land now because of the cost of it uh we, we we provide supports for private landowners to plant and a lot of the private landowners have very, very good quality land. So it's about persuading those people to make that investment of their land. As and, opposed and, to, cr- you know, becoming farmers or... and or, or even growing commercial timber crops, which is very profitable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, th- these are and these are the these are the spaces that we that we work in now and, and that we have to try and be aware of. And we have to be more aware, whereas before people just worried about the trees and the land. Now we have to be thinking about we have to think about people more often. 
And we have to become people, people ourselves and understand that the social aspects of forestry yeah. are very, very important. And yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting job. And I think when you look at the, the people that are there, the profile of people working in the industry now is, is, is very highly professional business. Mm. Uh, the people that are there will have studied, the average foresters will have studied for at least three or four years before they, yeah. they go out into it. Um, the likes of myself, I've you know, seven years in university uh, yeah. in total, like between different things. Um, and most of my colleagues will be will be the same. We're, right. it's, a, it's a highly technical business. But at the same time, just the, the technical end of it isn't enough anymore. We have to be more socially conscious. We have to be more... Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It, it is very... And actually listening to what people are looking for. Yeah, and actually process that and, and think about how do we how do we do that. And it, it, it's a very... I think the modern space we're in, it's, it's a very, very... With social media and people being influenced by different things, it's a very interesting time to be doing it. Uh, but it's also really exciting because we have we've probably some of the best opportunities coming down the line. The climate change thing is a huge thing for forestry. We're right in the middle of that with the response to that is going to involve forests. And then we have the biodiversity crisis. We also have some of the solutions for that. Yeah. And we have uh, we have to do some, 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 some things and the, the whole society has to do a lot of things. But we're able to do things in a way in forestry that other sectors can't, can't do. We're able to do it much faster in some cases. And uh, the native forests, that idea of getting our native forests, I have a very good colleague, Kevin, Kevin Collins, um, and, and my colleague here in Cork, Eugene Curran, have been involved for years developing, um, developing the native woodland uh, sides of things. There's a very good website for people who are interested. Uh, Woodlands of Ireland are an organization they're, they're, that, that are really designed to, or intended to promote native woodland uh, development. They have a very good website, a lot of very good stuff on it. And there's information notes on that and all kinds of things around how, how we do it. So it's not just a matter of somebody saying, why don't you plant more? Why don't you plant more of this? It's not that simple. We have to persuade people who have land to plant those types of forests yeah and it's a very long term it's a very long term decision well for, it's a slow it's a slow thing because something that you would plant now is not actually going to come to proper fruition for two three generations down the line no and it's 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 that long-term planning that's one of the great things about forestry is that it is a long-term thing and we're not quick book merchants there, there are no quick books there's in no forestry. easy to get You've got to wait for it to, to happen, yeah. And uh, and I think that's that's exciting. It's a it's a very very interesting uh, thing from that point of view. And and again, the, the recreation space is central to it. It really is. And, and that reconnecting people with something that we once had that we were once absolutely enmeshed with. Irish people in forests would have been completely uh, integrated in in the society. And you go back to the Breton laws. It's all about forests. The the the, yeah. the alphabet was based on different trees. Explain Breton law for people, because we have a lot of international listeners and people that wouldn't necessarily be familiar with uh, Breton law. So before before the, the, the Tudor times almost, and, and, and uh, before, sorry, before the Norman times, there mm -hmm. would have been, uh, a Cel in Celtic Ireland, there would have been a, a well-established legal system based on the Brehens were these uh, senior, uh, um, what would you call them? Senior authorities or senior elders in yeah, they the were community. elders. Yeah, they were wise people who who created the the legal system that and they, they were had. voted in. 
based on the brown system. It was a kind yeah. of a very democratic, yeah. very wise kind of system. And again, they had a they had defined the values of things based on cattle. Irish people love cows. We really do. We love cattle. And love an old cow. Defines defines for cutting different trees were based around how many cows you would have to hand or over. bulls, milk cows, and so and so on. Yeah. But the famous the famous story of Grania and, and her and her bull. The bull, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of a, a lot of trouble in Ireland in, in our in our mythology around cattle and that that heritage. Wars, up. people went to war over bulls, prize bulls. They still do. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting though to see what uh, yeah the Brems had uh, uh, the value of trees. So when you go into the forest, you know you imagine that the most important trees in a forest will be things like oak and the big the big the big hitters. What do you think the most important tree in the woods was? So they, they, had divided, they had divided trees into by the value of use they divided trees into commoners the commoners of the wood mm. and then the nobles of the wood and the more the more useful a species was the more noble it was in their view so the most noble species was actually hazel right and if you go into the heritage go into the heritage park in Wexford if you're in Wexford at all go and see the heritage park go into the botanic gardens in Dublin and look at the Viking house in Dublin. Oh, it's as beautiful. I love built, that. Yeah, yeah, Built yeah. by Owen, Owen Donnelly, a master. Do you know? Master Woodsman. Oh, I've, man. I've, I've been, I've had the privilege of spending, I spent about 10 days with Owen. Wow. Uh, watching him work. And just, yeah. Very cool stuff. It's very cool. Yeah. It's very, very Yeah, for people organic. who don't, for people who don't know what we're talking about, there's a, there's a garden in, it's called the, the National Botanic Gardens in, uh, in Dublin, actually. It's in Glasnevin. It's actually right behind Glasnevin Cemetery for people who are looking for it, and uh, they've got an extreme, extremely diverse range of plants and and, and uh, trees and things. And it, I think it was it was ironically enough it was British to begin with. It was it's the, all the uh, the glass houses there are very Victorian kind of Georgian uh, style to them. But right in the centre of it, and it's quite recent actually, I think probably in the last five years or so, yeah. they they basically built a replica of a Viking house. And every now and again, you'll see the guys in there uh, with the full gear, the full outfit, you know, uh, sitting on a shave horse or you know making uh, wicker fences or uh, hazel fences and the likes. Um, but uh, but sorry, so 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 the most I love the tangents in these. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. So strap yeah. yourselves in. But so again, so, again, like it, so, it, the Bretton Law. The Bretton Law. Yeah. The, the hazel was the most useful because when you look at how those buildings are built. Yeah. They're daub and wattle. They're woven yes. woven hazel. All of these things. Yeah. Uh, the hazel is one species that you can do. It's a Swiss Army knife of trees. You can bend it. You can split it. You can. Uh, uh, pry it apart. You can uh, do all of these kind of make these wattle um, hurdles. It's a malleable can, sort of. You can material. do all sorts of stuff with it, and you can even feed it to animals. You can make because hay because it, it's quite um, it's quite uh, revered in even in like you know, like kind of that uh, Wiccan kind of mythology as well. It's like it's considered a which is very much informed by the Bren kind and of druidic sort of yeah, stuff that's that's there. The druids, and, yeah. So that was like that was a couple of cows. Like if you cut down hazel illegally in the old system, you're you're gonna give up a lot of cows. Don't ask me how many exactly now. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a druidic scholar <laughs> or a Bren scholar, but I mean it was a lot of cows. I mean, right. It was it was one trader load probably, but again you had um, things then like uh, ash. Yeah. Were further down the list, and then you had the 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 the, the commoners of the wood were just stuff that really wasn't, you know, they were useful but they weren't really that. Like oak, 
You can burn uh, oak and that's about it. Well, you that's can good do, for it's you good can, for building. Oak, oak, oak is very important. And it, our national it, tree is an oak. It's, it is. It's a sessile oak. Yeah. Which is the wrong oak, I think. It was. You know, they should have gone for the other. The other one is better. <laughs> much, much better. Better. Species. Trust, trust the fucking forest. Um, but the oak, like, oak is incredible because it is. It was durable. You, like we we have all these modern materials now, and things don't rot, and we can treat things. And it's, yeah. You know, we can we can do all of these preservatives. And yeah. The rest. Back when they were building ships, back when they were building uh, homes and stuff like that, any kind of exposed woodwork yeah. needed, needed to be oak. Do you know what's funny, actually? This reminds me of, so obviously, uh, what was it, about, what, must be six months ago now, uh, was it Notre Dame in yeah. Paris, uh, burned, and a lot of the original uh, kind of steeple work, or the original uh, kind of framework would have been oak. And apparently, uh, so they're in the process of rebuilding it now, and obviously people threw loads of money at it, which is kind of strange. But uh, the oak that was used originally to build it um, was so old and so like strong that there isn't any oaks in the world left yeah. of that age. So the oak that they used on Notre Dame Cathedral was like 500 years old or something. And actually... It was about 800. Something like that. it was probably older. Again, it was cut. Yeah. And then... So yeah. some of the older parts of Notre Dame were, were about 800 years yeah. old. But nowadays, even if they want to replace those old oak beams with, with new oak, there's no oak that old left in the world and actually, to actually replace it. There's this story goes around, and I'm not sure how true it is, where the... Uh, I suppose about 20 years ago, the French... Uh, Minister for Defence received a letter from the French Minister for Agriculture right. telling him your your trees are ready <laughs> and uh, here's your trees they're, they're, they're ready and these are trees that were laid down under Napoleon okay for naval timber sure so the French and and both the French and the British uh, laid down very large areas of forest as a strategic resource back in the 1700s and the early 1800s because they thought they would be uh, duking it out for. Uh, maybe another hundred years, so they had uh, an they agreement. Put, they put down these uh, uh, places of, of large forests of oak to supply the shipyards. And the story in Ireland is that we lost our oaks; that the oaks were used to build a royal navy. Uh, it's not that not that simple. Most of the oaks that we had, um, we don't have coal here. Coal as a fuel is actually quite a new thing. We haven't been really using coal. Industrial so, Revolution. Well, even before that, probably since around the, the end of the 1600s. And most of the oaks, both in Ireland and Britain, were used, were, they were used to smelt iron. They were used to make uh, charcoal. And they were broken up, and uh, any timber that was usable was fine. But the transport of, of timber back then was very, very difficult. So now you've got, um, these places were, were basically chopped down and turned into charcoal. Large mm. areas around Killarney National Park were, 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 were cold. They mm. were basically burned as charcoal. And they were used to make iron, and the iron was used to make nails. And may, maybe some of the ships were nailed together with some of these nails. Well. But again, the charcoal was so, if, if charcoal making was, was in such demand, large areas ended up being, uh, being, being, being used for that. And going back further in the Tudor times, they sold off large areas of land in Ireland. You could buy in London estates in Ireland that were fully forested. And people would just come over, chop down all the trees, turn it into charcoal uh, and timber, 
and repay the cost of the of the land. And what? A lot of conversion well. to farmland happened during during Tudor time. So we we like to blame the English for lots of things. And uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's a natural they, thing. Isn't they it? took they took our forests. Why do we have no forests? Ah, uh, the English. It's a great Irish myth that the <laughs> the English took our forests and they made all these. I love you. But again, uh, it's it's never that that straightforward. As we, we we did a lot of it damage ourselves. Yeah. And um, there's successions of people came in. The Normans came in. Uh, they cleared for land. They valued farmland. Yeah. And before that, the, the stuff that happened pre-Norman was very small, very small scale. Yeah. Relative to that, but after the Tudors, really the the the, the crack started. And then by the by the mid 1800s, there was eight million people living in Ireland. So there wasn't any place for forests. There wasn't mm. any any spare room mm. to put put forests. Mm. So. Uh, they were they were lost and people farmed the land and there was this kind of subsistence agriculture in, in some places yeah and more successful agriculture on the on the better land and yeah on the west coast there was millions and millions of people living the ruins of the homes are still there yeah in different places what but, what do you think um sorry to to interrupt you there but so i mean obviously we were talking about this recurrent this like resurgence or new new wave of you know people like ourselves people like you know I mean, living to learn, although yeah. it's, you know, there's, there's 6,000 people on there. Uh, obviously, it's international, but, I mean, a huge amount of those people would be Irish. And, yeah. You know, a lot of them won't be our friends. Where, where do you, see, like, what do you see the role of the likes of living to learn or bushcraft in general? Uh, because it's still in its infancy in, for the most it part, is, at, yeah. least in your, at least in Ireland it is. And, and I mean, Joe was talking about it uh, on, the, on last week's podcast about... Um, in Japan, how it's even even more in its yeah. infancy over there. I mean, where where do you see the future of of, of bushcraft and and its role in in Irish society, I suppose, and British society, uh, in in the sort of in what you do? Because I think there is yeah. a demand, there is a need, and there is a call for for more wilding, rewilding of of spaces that are probably you know they're used for recreational purposes as woodlands, but they're not wild. And I think we want wild land. That's all we yeah. want, you know. I, I I'm really proud of what people have achieved in in that type of movement. Living to learn is, is is one part of it. That 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 process of reconnection. When you see what Irish people are doing, when you see what they're investigating, what they're trying, yeah, and and what they're re reinventing and rediscovering, I I think that's amazing. When you take that on, you look at the forest schools. My wife's involved in in the, in, in some of that. My mm. friends involved in some of it. Mm. That process is somewhat related uh i think a lot of people in living to learn are probably sending their kids to some of those things mm-hmm. or are more inclined to do that yeah it's not just bushcrafters doing it I, i'm very proud of that i think as an irish person when you see that happening you, you, you it makes me very very confident that we're going to be all right with this mm-hmm. people are going to are, are on the right track mm-hmm. it's not for me to decide what the right track is people will work that out and they'll tell people like myself mm-hmm. and the organizations that we work for They'll tell us mm-hmm. what they want to do and what what they what they would like, and we we've, we've systems for, for that. Yeah. And and we. we what pop- are those systems? Oh, there's there's consultation systems. There's all sorts of, of policy development things. That, 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 Is there anywhere know, people can? There's, there's, uh, several times during the year, and, and and every few years we have policy development stuff 
where people can go into it. I, I don't mm. think it's for the podcast. I don't think it's all that interesting. No, I but think there it are, is. There are, there are spaces where you can do that. I think people uh, want to... Want to, want to the forestry system has meetings and there's public public events several times during the year where people can go and, yeah. and, 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 and find out what's happening in their area, what's planned for maybe a place that you use on a regular basis. Yeah. And, um, and and they encourage people to come along and, 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 and talk, you know, and, 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 and tell them what, what the issues are in certain areas. And at any point, people can write in and, and there's, there's all sorts of, of mechanisms mm-hmm. for, for that and websites for that. Um, but I think it's very important that that, that use and that understanding of what people want is, is there mm-hmm. and that people themselves understand what they want before mm-hmm. they come looking for stuff. Mm-hmm. You want to rewild areas. Okay, why? What, what, what is that? Yeah. Um, how do we do that? Uh, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it necessary? I think having the space for rewilding, the problem in Ireland, and there's a great thing about rewilding in Scotland and all the rest, it's different in Scotland. It's different in Well, Norway. they have right to own those. They have a different scale of land land use. They have a different scale of land ownership. They have one landowner owns a whole yeah. two or three very values. small amount of people we have own hundreds, a lot of the land. Hundreds yeah. of people own hundreds of parcels of land in the landscape, and just re- getting all those people to into a, into a point where they can all agree yeah. democratically, and we can we can you know, we can't force people to do it. Yeah. So, I think the rewilding has to take place on land owned by the state primarily. Uh, unless you have the agreement of people in areas, it's very difficult to achieve it. I, I think that's fine. And secondly, then, the rewilding has to be the right kind of rewilding. It has to fit in our landscape. It has to fit with the things that we want to we want to do. Yeah. And there's no point in just letting lots of places go, go wild because they may not necessarily turn out the way we want. People have this idea that you rewild and it'll be magic. Yeah. That mightn't happen. Right. If the land, if, if land still has to be managed to produce the, the exact right outcomes of, yeah. that we have. And we see that in places that don't, that haven't been managed. There, a lot of those places are, are on fire. We've, we've issues with species gorse and, and so on. And the gorse will develop, all of those things happen. Mm. Some species need that management. Having farmers on the land is very, very important in a lot of places because the species that are there, that, that, are, that, are, that are prime, the hen harrier is a good example, need a certain amount of land use in the background to create the specific mix of habitats that, that they need. That, that and, if, and that allows the types of things that, that we want to level, try. Them. Yeah, if that low level human activity isn't there uh, and the low level activity of grazing and things like that that might happen, if that's not there, those opportunities are lost to those species. So the landscape we have in a lot of ways, it's kind of sad to say it, we've broken and we own it. Yeah. We're, kind of, we're kind of stuck. Yeah. We have to manage our way to that point. So it's not just a question of putting up a fence around the place, locking the gate and saying this is rewilded. Right. It's much, much more complicated than that. Yeah. And it, some of the work that I do, I've seen what that looks like when, when land is abandoned, essentially. Right. It causes big problems. Does it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 You'll have seen the big fires and so on in, in Spain and Portugal in the last few years. That's primarily happening on unmanaged, abandoned land. And we see that at a much smaller scale, still a big, for us, it's a big scale. We see that more frequently now in yeah. Ireland. And we saw in the last two years, like fairly sizable forest fires, very sizable areas of open land, burn. that's an area that I, I specialize in. Yeah. Um, and that's part of that, the fuel loads build up. Yeah. And these places go on, go on fire. Go on and, fire, and wow. For, for whatever reason. We tend to focus on why they've, and you know, people using fire in recreation is one, 
mm. one part of that. And not being able, not knowing that not they can cause roof not, fire. And not knowing what the, what the potential uh, hazards is. Are. That's part of the learning, I think, that we have to do mm. at our outdoors, is understanding the personal responsibility of somebody using it. I think that's the great thing about what's happening, is that there is that sense, there's a very definite sense when you listen to people in the bushcraft and living to learn, whatever it is, in Ireland, there is that sense that people want to know more about the landscapes. They yeah. want to know more about the places that they're using. Yeah. And some people want to be involved in, in, in that direction. Replanting which is, and... Which is great, and there are, there, are, there are groups doing that, that that people can get involved with. But I think understanding what we're sitting in, understanding what we're sitting on, mm-hmm. understanding the noises around us when we're sitting in a, either a hammock or on the ground, whatever your preference is, the noises around, that we understand what those noises are and that we really appreciate those. It's like sitting back, I think, at night when you're sitting in a good campsite with lots going on. It's like listening to a really, really good hi-fi system. <laughs> Putting on a really, really nature good, stereo. Putting on a really good album in surround sound. And you just, <laughs> oh, I like you it. just tune in. That's magic, man. That's and if magic. you listen to, you know, it's like listening to classical music. Because somebody who understands classical music will know what's happening, and they, they, they have all the Italian words for that. I, I don't understand it, but we have to get to that point with our understanding of what we're sitting in. It's not just enough to sit in some vegetation or sit in a, sit under a tree. You should know what that tree is. Mm. You should know how that got there. You should know, I think as an outdoors person, the ideal will be that you'll sit, you'll be like that guy with the axe, you'll sit down with the stone axe, you'll sit down and you'll have something close to that understanding of what you're actually sitting and enjoying. I think that's that's where we have to aim for. And yet, you know, uh, I think people are on a good, I think a good track for that. I think what's happening at the moment is really positive. For the Irish outdoors, uh, I think there's been a lot of a lot of sports take place outdoors. I grew up in, in a mountaineering household, and my dad went mountaineering, and he went to the mountains. My dad loves the mountains. We see lots of people hill walking, and they're in the mountains, and they're in the, you know, they go to the mountains, mm. but they're using the mountains. Uh, they don't really stay in it; they pass through it. Lots of these things, the mountain bikers mm. want to go on a mountain bike. Mm. They're in the mountains, but they're passing through it. It's a passive thing. And they're well, yeah. uh, you know, maybe it's not. Maybe we're we're being presumptive. Yeah, but perhaps. I think bushcrafters are different in that they're the first group of recreational users who just want to go to the forest because it's the forest. Mm. They're not trying to go somewhere else. They're not trying to do something else. They just want to be in the space, mm. in the forest. Mm. That's that's really interesting to me that's, uh, at yeah, the moment. I really, that's that's actually, I never really thought of that. And I, I love that idea that using a space like as a cyclist or as a, as a hill walk or something, you're kind of, you use that space for the, for the, for the actual, for the needs that it serves. But, but the idea of, 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 of an outdoorsman or a bushcrafter or you know not to use not to like pigeonhole ourselves like you know woodsmen outdoors people whatever um yeah there is that kind of just just that kind of content with just being in it and just sitting and like just absorbing it i think you're right in the sense that like i don't i can't think of any other sport or kind of recreation that actually just actively uh, appreciates the space for what it is and and just just to be in it just to go and enjoy it yeah. and i think that's that's for me that's very interesting because that's mm. what that's, that's i never thought of that i like we, that we, we we're involved in those places yeah and here's a group that they're not interested in the road they're not interested in the car park although you need them you need them to get there yeah but 
they're not interested in the classic recreation. Is there benches? Who cares? <laughs> is there is there somewhere to sit? Is there somewhere where you can do? And I think that's that's going to be the next fairly major fairly major leap of faith for the land managers now is to is to accommodate that. We, yeah. we want people who want to come to our forest and you want to come into the woods yeah. and you want to do what? Yeah. You want to build a shelter and light a fire. No, you're good, for mate. For me, given some parts, no, of, parts, okay. of, my, parts of my job, uh, you want to do what? Okay, yeah. And I'm going to kind of, you know, recreational fire users. People yeah. that come to the forest. It's a red, light, it's fucking red, red, red flags. For also. recreation. Yeah. There, are, there are different types. You know, we've, we've a joke in, in, the, in the fire community that there's, there's three kinds of, there's three causes of fire. There's three main causes of fire. Men, women, and children. And the public... And we saw this last year, in, and particularly around Dublin and Wicklow. People were assholes last summer. They left, they threw cigarettes out of cars on motorways. They left barbecues. The disposable barbecue should be just banned. I don't know why yeah. it, you can do that. But people left disposable barbecues in places where they were going to just ignite the vegetation because that's what barbecues do when they're left in, 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 in flammable vegetation. And they expected that somebody else would come along and make this all right. That somebody else would clean it up. And the public brought barbecues into national parks. They brought barbecues into town parks. They brought barbecues up on Bray Head. All of these things. And they set these places on fire one after the other. And that was recreational users. There's no, like we can blame the farmers for this, that and the other. We know from the follow-ups that were done on some of those places that it was recreational users. And there are recreational users, and there are recreational users. A lot with a bag of cans, a couple of spliffs, and, <laughs> and a giant bonfire made of plastic yeah. is a recreational user. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's a different mode of behavior there. Of course. But, you know, it's it's for the bushcraft and the forest user community. I don't know what the correct term. We have to find that term. Yes, uh, I agree. Those people to differentiate themselves from... The ladder arrived. And how well, do we how do we go about doing that? I, I think the, the the fact that there's some kind of or there is some level of organisation there is very loose, which is great. It means that there's no there's no hierarchy. There's no, uh, you know. But I think that the fact that that it, there is a community of people there that's yeah. that's the first step. Yeah. I think the fact that the community of people that's there there are established very very well established modes of behavior and expectations of behavior totally and there's they're self they're self-governed as well and i think that's more important than anything else in the I, sense I, that you know if somebody posts up something on and i'm using living to learn here as an example just because obviously it's the one i'm most familiar with but you know people will name and shame you know if they walk into a space and they go look what these people have left or yeah. somebody's left is i mean we've we've organized on the page we've organized cleanups we've organized competitions where you know and i think aiden parry did one uh wherein you know, he gave, I can't remember what he gave away, but it was, it was quite a nice uh, prize. I can't remember what it was. It might've been, but it was, it was a cleanup initiative and whoever, you know, you didn't, it didn't matter if it was two cans that you picked up or you cleaned up an entire beach and some people cleaned up entire beaches. Um, but there's the, but that's the self-governance there yeah. that's important and that's what's needed. And I think it's not just self-governance, it's self-responsibility. And mm, I think mm. I, I, I don't like, I don't like to be a preachy person. I don't, want to be a preachy person no. but that self-responsibility is vital mm -hmm. go back to the scandinavian model yeah you know 
There are no bins in forests. I've been in forests in Sweden and, and Finland. People just bring their stuff home. Yeah. Because that's, that's, yeah. the, that's the ethic. Exactly. And people don't chop up the lavus. No. Because that's the ethic. And they don't burn them down. That's the ethic. And, you know, they have nice things because they can have nice things. They're like, yeah. They treat them with respect. The, 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 the experience in Wicklow and the Dublin Mountains in particular, there are a million people live next door. And it's very, very hard to regulate the behaviour of a million people. I, I'm a Dubliner. I'm very lucky to, 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 to be moved to Kerry at an early stage in my career. But um, I, I learned in those forests. I, I was in the Scouts and we went to those places. And we enjoyed those places. And they're still there and people still enjoy them. And they're, maybe they're different in, in, in some ways. But the rules and what you know the the, the behavior and, and and how people developed the kids on motorbikes and quads all that sort of stuff that didn't exist when i was growing up that's now an issue uh, if somebody goes into one of those places on a quad bike nobody else can enjoy that space yeah if somebody comes in i saw people last year uh, at the beach at curriclow with a huge fire in the middle of a high fire season with an enormous bonfire um, and this was okay and it meant then that anybody else using that space had to deal with that smoke mm-hmm. had to deal with the worry of was their car going to be alright all of those things and um, those types of behaviour uh, they, they coloured a whole lot so I think for, for people using like us who use forests and I'm in that in that space myself yeah. establishing the standard of behaviour that's very very important establishing the where we want to get to the the desire for this mm. type of, of, of opportunities that's very important as well and getting getting us to a point where there's a trust there mm-hmm. that the foresters know it's, that's what it is it's trust that, that, yeah. that these guys don't mean any harm and yeah. that their their behavior they know enough about what they're doing they're masters of their it's a sport what is it I've, what is it? I is would, it a sport? tell us guys is it a sport? Is it a hob- is it, it's not a hobby I don't want to use the word hobby it's a lifestyle it is a bit of a lifestyle choice, I think. You but it's know, not it's, a hobby. It's not a hobby. No, it, I don't. And that's, again, that's another differentiating factor within, like, our community and types of things. You can be, I mean, there, of course, there's people that are runners, joggers, cyclists. You know, it is very much a lifestyle and a part of their, part of their character and a part of their kind of, pers- their, their identity, I suppose. And, and it's no more different than, than us. I mean, I would consider... Like, I mean, people in work, they know me as, I, I mean, when I was leaving uh, yesterday for, to come down to you, I mean, I left work at half four and, you know, I went into the bathroom, put on my, my buffalo and I put on my fucking Fjall Raven cap, got my jacket, I got my bag and stuff and my boss turns around and he goes, it's a miraculous transformation for it. Look at that. <laughs> it's like come out of the bathroom, yeah, ready you, for the fucking forest. But the real, um, I, I, I kind of reckoned yeah. yesterday, I got in the car last night and yeah. I was like, you know, like yourself, like you put on your gear yeah. that you're going to wear in the woods. And yeah. You kind of go, you're sitting in the car going, this is a real me. Yeah. And uh, you've been at work for the week. You're somebody else when you're at work. You're, you're the work me. That's it. And That's then it. we come out here in our in our boat. We're sitting here like, this is the real me. It's the real you. This is what we're at. I think that's what differentiates. Uh, and, and I suppose anybody there, people have their passions and the things that, that get them out. And whether it's a mountain bike, whether it's just going for a walk or walking the dog or whatever it is, or, or bird watching, we've all of those types of people there mm. as well. Huge, huge community of nature watchers in, yeah. in Ireland, which is also hugely important community of people. Um, and I think 
we're all defined by that passion for what we what we do and and we're also defined by that desire to see the places that we're using uh protected and used uh used properly and that we we can continue and and i think it's with forestry it's understanding that some of the forests that are there they have a purpose and that purpose at, at some point a bit like farm animals we all love Daisy the cow, but there's a point where Daisy the cow is going in the trailer. She's <laughs> off to the meat factory. Yeah. And again, from time to time, that happens with places that we like to use. I've, I've had it happen myself. Oh man, I I brought my entire work group up uh, a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of months ago, we went, we decided, because every year we go somewhere, you know, whether it's staying in a resort and we go and we yeah. kind of do canoeing or all sorts. And, and this year we decided to stay in this beautiful, uh, beautiful lodge in Wicklow. And uh, I said, Sure, we'll go for a walk up the Wicklow Mountains and uh, I'll bring you out, I'll show you some bushcraft stuff. You know, we'll do some bow drill, yeah. we'll go into the woods. Went all the way up. Uh, we parked up at um, at the scout centre there in Lockdown. Walked down to Lockdown, up along. All right, lads, the forest just up around here, along the, we'll follow along the water. Got there, the forest was gone. The forest that, was gone, that, that like can happen, clean but cut. The important thing is, when, when in a, in a lot of those cases, one. yeah, you know, it is, but they're not gone. They're re, they're re, they're redeveloped and they're re, they're regrown. And usually, what comes afterwards is better yeah. than what was there. And that's the important thing with those that they, they're replaced and they're replaced with a modern standard, with our modern ethic and our modern knowledge, right? Uh, to try and try and better what we have. And a lot of the forests that are there that, that are that are now at the age of, of of harvest were planted at a time when you know the the the, the design brief for those was much narrower than what we have now mm. and the, the expectations from those and the usage patterns were much narrower mm -hmm. the expected usage patterns were much much narrower than what we have now but what's replanted is generally better we've seen that down down here in a lot of places a move towards incorporating recreational use incorporating mm -hmm. landscape better into the subsequent design and that's part of what we do and that's part of the process of of re rediscovering our our forest past and rediscovering and, and also redefining our future of of, of our forestry and, and the connection that we have with it mm. but it's very very important that people are still out there mm -hmm. and it's very very interesting for me to see i really enjoy watching that process of people uh, and particularly the guys from the cities rediscovering those that that whole place a lot of the guys are my age we're in their 40s some of them are in the scouts. You know, you know the guys who are in the scouts. As soon as you see them, mm. they're 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 rediscovering stuff that they were they were doing as as as, as teenagers and possibly yeah. younger. And I think they're passing that on to their own kids. And I yeah. think that is one of the most important things. Agreed. And that yeah. that uh, what what people are doing now in in the bushcraft community, the outdoor community, whatever whatever it is, they're 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 improving that knowledge. They're improving those skills, but they're handing them on, mm. and. That's fantastic, and I, I just think I, I was very lucky. My, my, my parents brought us out to lots of places, uh, you know, and we were brought to, to Wicklow. We were brought in these. I had a lot, an awful lot to do mm. with what I'm doing now. I was in the Scouts. We were in all these places. That also had a lot to do. I meet a lot of my colleagues who are all in the Scouts, um, and we know the fellas in work who weren't in the Scouts. You can usually tell them in the, in the first few minutes. <laughs> but it's very, very interesting just to see that, uh, and it's, it's, it's for me. It's like watching that process with my dad. They were guys from the city, yeah. from areas in town that wanted to go mountaineering. Yeah. And they discovered the mountains from, from places in, in, you know, 
they weren't from the best uh, the best well-off areas in, in the city yeah and they discovered mountains and they went off everywhere climbing and they went all over Ireland and then they went further away yeah and they ended up going out to some big mountains in the end of it uh, in in the Himalayas and further on mm-hmm. and again that all starts from that initial few walks in Wicklow or the few walks around in wherever your your local wood yeah. is that all started like that yeah totally and that but that reconnection is 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 hugely important and again i think it's not just a reconnection it's that just proper understanding mm. of 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 what what's around us what what is the name of that plant what is the name of that tree knowing just the simple trees mm. bushcraft and all this stuff is all about materials and wood and the best axe and the best what's the best wood what's the best tree these mm. are the questions that we have to start asking ourselves mm. and developing that knowledge and that that knowledge is really it's more important than the gear it's more important than your raincoat it's more important than your axe it's more important than all the stuff that we 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 prize we really do we prize our axes but knowledge and that understanding of the the surrounds that we're in is the most important piece of equipment yeah and it's the one that's the hardest to 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 attain. attain yeah and I think, no, you're absolutely right. And I think uh, we'll just, we'll, I suppose we'll wrap it up on that one because I think that's a, that's a kind of a nice roundabout. We kind of started on gear and we're going to finish on gear and, and the difference between, uh, as you said, purchasing, purchasing a piece of kit and knowing what a tree is. Um, but Kieran, it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure. Um, you know, for anybody, I mean, I mean, any parting words before we, uh, before we wrap it up? Because it's been, it's been a really informative conversation. No, I've really enjoyed. Yeah, uh, talking there's people about it. all. I, I know there's people all over the world listen to this, and it's a real privilege to take part. So thanks very much for the opportunity. Yeah, no problem. Man. To take part in it, and you just think about some of those other countries and the huge forests and the forest culture and the outdoor culture that they have. Yeah, it's a real privilege to to be able to come and and, and take part in something like this, where, where people in those places m- might hear it. Yeah, for the rest of us, yeah, it's just enjoy enjoy our our amazing spaces, and I think in Ireland, we're blessed. We have uh, we have some fantastic places. People come from all over the world to visit them. Uh, we have to discover these places ourselves, and we have to use them and value them, and uh, and tell us about them. Tell us what you're doing in them, and tell us what you want to do in them. Yeah. And uh, and have those conversations. I think that's very very important. So totally. don't be uh, don't be shy about that. And at the same time, it's also for people to make themselves aware of what what forestry actually is is about we have a lot of things that we do it's not just about timber uh we have lots of things that we have to try and balance and recreation and that sort of cultural space is hugely hugely important to us in in yeah yeah well kieran thank you so much for coming on the show uh guys that was episode 20 um hope you've enjoyed it it's been a it's been of a 20 episodes so far it's been kind of crazy that we've kind of come this far myself and joe never thought what six six months ago that we'd be where we are i mean i'm sitting on a on a beach in killarney talking to one of my good friends that i met three years ago uh, never thought in a million years that this would be the case that we'd have people listen to all over the world um so thank you everybody and uh i hope you guys enjoy yourselves out there wherever you are take take care